calling all aspiring investment professionals. Get a leg up on the competition. Final registration for the August CFA exam ends on May 14th. Register now to secure your spot. The CFA designation is a gold standard in the investment world, opening doors to high-powered careers and impressive salaries. Head over to cfainstitute.org to register. Don't wait. Take control of your finance career today. Greetings. I'm Ed Bass of CFA Institute, and welcome to this Take 15. Today we're joined by Andrew Smithers, chairman of Smithers & Company, a firm which covers markets and economies in Japan, the U.S., and uh, the major Western European countries. Andrew is co-author of three books, including Valuing Wall Street and, most recently, Wall Street Revalued. He's a frequent contributor to Japanese market publications, and he has been published in the Financial Times and Forbes magazine. Thanks for joining us today, Andrew. We've heard a lot uh, during the conference so far about the actions of central bankers, both historically and prospectively. So in that context, I'd like to ask you, what course of action do you believe central bankers of the developed markets should be following now as opposed to what they are currently doing? Well, the big risk at the moment for the world is the combination of high asset prices and extreme debt. And central bankers, insofar as they can, should be striving to persuade the private sector to reduce its debt and to encourage the stock market, and particularly, which is very highly priced, to come down slowly rather than rapidly because it's rapid change, which is the usual trigger for crises. So you mentioned the uh, overvaluation of the equity markets. This is an area clearly where you see an asset bubble forming. Could you expand upon that? Oh, yes. There are two ways that you can value the market, which are work in testable way. There are lots of ways people use, but you test them out, you find they don't work. Some of them are wonderfully ludicrous, like things like the bond yield ratio and things, which are just hilariously funny. Uh, they're so bad. Uh, but people, of course, have done made careers out of selling nonsense, so why should you not? Uh, but some of us, we like to think we're in the pursuit of truth rather than the pursuit of commission, which does, of course, divide us from a large number of people in this industry, have gone through all the, the valuation metrics we could find. We tested them all. And Stephen Wright and I, first of all, in Valuing Wall Street, uh, set out why the two that worked were the cyclically adjusted PE and the Q ratio. Now, these two track each other very closely. Uh, if, you were, if they didn't, one of them would presumably be not working. So you can't find that you have different valuation metrics which give you different answers. And what they both show at the moment is that the stock market in America is extremely overpriced. It's something like 70% overpriced according to these metrics. And those were the levels that you got in some of the previous bubbles, 1906, 1937, 1968, were all, roughly speaking, as overvalued as we are today. And they were followed by serious declines which had nasty impacts on the economy. 
but probably less serious impacts than such declines with today because debt levels were much less then. And debt levels have an amplification on the problem. But we are fortunately well short of the other extremes which were had in 2000 or 1929 when markets were seriously more overpriced than they are today. But we're already in the sort of danger area and it should be the aim of the central banks, as I said, if so far as they can, not to push them up, but to bring them down, which means that they should never have had QE2, which was uh, one of the many mistakes of the Federal Reserve. But it's a good thing, at least they're stopping, and we shouldn't have QE3. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, if we can uh, view against that backdrop your outlook for the economies of the U.S. in particular and Japan, which is another one of your areas of expertise? Well, I, at the moment, quite cheered by what's going on. Uh, it seems to me that the, the obvious risks of the world today are inflation and deflation, uh, and they are interconnected. The most likely way we'll get deflation is we first of all have a bout of inflation. Not the only way, but the most likely. And I was therefore getting increasingly worried that inflationary pressures were rising in the world. And I'm pleased that there seems to be some signs that in the developed world, uh, steps are already being taken uh, to slow economies down. The, the most recent data from the US was not particularly buoyant, which is encouraging, and doesn't want the US economy to grow too well. And people may feel that's an odd thing to say. But the longer-term aim should not be to grow rapidly now. In order, it should be to grow well over sustained time, not simply run into another problem. So some of the developments, also I was a little bit cheered the other day when commodities, which looked to me getting into rather worrying levels, had a break. Um, looking at the banks, the big banks where a lot of these assets uh, sit, can you comment for us on your view of the Basel III requirements and the potential implications for the banks? Uh, Basel III was a disappointment. Anybody, I think, who knew people involved in the negotiation talked about it, found that the Japanese, French, and Germans were very anxious not to have a good Basel III. Their own banks, they felt, were not strong enough for it. There was political pressure. The Americans were not, I think, all that interested, feeling they were going to deal with their own problems in their own way. And the British, who were doubted the pressing for much, much stricter requirements, didn't get it. However, the general view in the UK at the moment is that we can't have an, another round that quickly. You know, we've got to live with this one. But we'll try and improve it here if we can. And various methods of that. One is in the UK, the idea, of course, as you know, from the Independent Commission on Banking, is to put higher than bar requirements, quite substantially higher than bar requirements, on the domestic retail banking sector. And hope also that there will be international agreement about the too big to fail, the, S, the systemically <coughs> risky financial institutions, how they're called. And I hope that that will come in. Uh, because, of course, if we are going to get, as I think we must, a reduction in the private sector debt, a lot of that is going to have to come through default. And therefore, one needs the banks and all other financial intermediaries to be extremely well financed themselves to be able to take that strain. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the Europeans, of course, 
out there, having fought against a good vowel settlement, and having banks which clearly, under any reasonable valuation of their assets, probably have no equity at all. Thank you. So what do re you regard, uh, given all this, as the most promising investment strategy right now? Uh, prayer, I think, must be uh, the first consideration of a serious person at the moment. Um, it depends very much on your time horizon and who you are. Uh, I sit on a number of committees for endowments which have a perpetual view. Uh, even with seriously overvalued markets like today, if you just held one asset, you're better off in equities for the next 30 years, 40 years, than you are in bonds or cash. But you don't have to hold one asset forever. But the timing of the value you can show, but the timing is obviously impossible. If you could not only value markets, but ten, tell when they were going to change direction, even central bankers and fund managers would notice, and it would be arbitraged away. So it can't be done, obviously. So for those occasions, I think people like that, probably at the moment, they want to be, because markets are so overpriced, not fully exposed to the equity market, uh, say even 40% liquid. I don't think anybody's right mind would hold a bond under current circumstances. Uh, particularly not government, um, <laughs> corporate bonds. Um, but you would have to probably have a mixture of equities and cash. And if the market comes down a lot, you can then put the money back in. Uh, the people with a shorter term time horizon, uh, or a bit you've got a long vision, but I'm 73, so I don't have an enormous time horizon. One wants to be rather more cautious than that. Mm -hmm. Hold more cash, I'm afraid. Well, thank you for those valuable insights, Andrew. Well, I'm not sure of their value, but or the, the insightfulness of them. But thank you, Ed, for asking me some questions. Well, very much appreciated. And thank you for joining us for this Take 15. To view other Take 15s, please visit our website at www.cfainstitute.org. Copyright 2011, CFA Institute. No part may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, electronic, mechanical, recording, or otherwise, without the express prior written permission of CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.